0: With only two wheels under us, the very thought of that rear wheel locking up or sliding out is enough to initiate cold sweats, dry mouth, and heart palpitations. But there's at least one certified crazy instructor. No, sorry, I meant at least one crazy certified instructor that teaches his students to lock up that rear wheel. Why is he doing this? Well, I'm going to let him explain that to you today on Adventure Rider Radio's exclusive rider skills program. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manica. Ted Vince. Simon. Austin Simon Pavey. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis.
1: Elspeth <laughs> Graham Jarvis. At- Chris Birch. Clinton Smith. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.
0: Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters, CyclePump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. Greenchiliadv.com. Rider Skills is an exclusive program we developed here at Adventure Rider Radio designed to give you the tools that can improve your riding skills both on and off-road. Now, of course, these segments are not meant to be a substitute for professional training. These are ideas and concepts that should you choose to try, you're doing so at your own risk. When riding a motorcycle, there are times when your rear wheel will suddenly, and often without warning, slide out to one side. And when it happens, the amount of time you have to react could be measured in milliseconds. That's how little time you have to react, because it's only the reaction that is going to help. It goes something like this. It's a warm, sunny day as you zip along, listening to your engine hum beneath you. Everything is going great until suddenly you feel that something isn't just right. And here's where time slows down. Now you know something is wrong, but what? Your brain searches for an answer. Milliseconds are ticking by. Wait, you've got it. The rear wheel must be slipping sideways. Yes, it's definitely slipping sideways. More milliseconds ticking by. Okay, now you've decided the rear wheel is slipping sideways. The next thing to do is to decide how to react, what to do. What are you going to do to counter this motion? Stress, more milliseconds. Meanwhile, the rear wheel has continued to swing outwards and things are rapidly becoming more unstable as you fight through the cognitive process of figuring out what to do. This all needs to happen in a fraction of a second, but the reality is it can't. You don't have time to think. You can only react. That's all the time you have is time to react. Your brain needs to skip the cognitive process and jump to action. React through instinct, muscle memory. But how to get that muscle memory? Well don't worry because that's what today's exclusive rider skills is about skid control Clinton, welcome back. Hi, Jim. How are you doing?
1: Fantastic. We just got down 32 snowmobiles, so it's a little depressing Uh, because it means the end of our wheels season. Right.
0: (laughs) Well, winter is something we can't control. Unfortunately, we all have to, to live through it. It's one of those things, but it does give you the time to certainly to think about your riding skills some. Maybe work on your True. bike, tinker, do those type yes. of things if, you, if you're if you in a place where you can't ride. But but today, you're going to teach us about skid control, which I'm, I'm really looking forward to. Basically, we're talking about the rear wheel stepping out, or maybe some people would call it a, a rear wheel drift, I guess would be another way yes. to say it. In other words, the rear wheel of the motorcycle swinging out to one side, kind of like a car in snow for those that have experienced it with rear wheel drive yes. now this um stepping out or sliding of the rear wheel is often a terrifying experience for a motorcycle rider because it destabilizes everything at least for the rider that hasn't learned to understand and practice controlling it now the good thing is having said that if you have experienced this as a rider and it has scared you there are things you can do to make it less scary or sometimes not scary at all so clinton let's begin with why does the rear wheel step out or slide. Can you talk about the causes?
1: Yeah, there's all kinds of them, but usually it's because there wasn't ABS on that bike and the person used some pretty aggressive rear brake on wet pavement is the easiest way that street riders lose it. Or it could be other traction issues, you know, maybe a bit of sand on the road, some gravel, some diesel. Uh, A problem right around gas stations is when pickup trucks fill right to the gas cap with diesel, a little bit will come out on the first corner when the suspension changes. So compounded, the riders coming in there doesn't notice the dark wet spot and they're leaned over. So the back wheel, hopefully not the front wheel, but if the back wheel slides out, Without the skill that we're going to talk about, um, it can be a pretty nasty fall.
0: Right. And, and I'm sure there's a lot of pickup truck drivers are going to be ticked at you right now, but they're going to say, what about the Volkswagen Rabbit, the diesel? Or, That's right. <laughs> or the exactly. diesel, Volkswagen All Diesel. The diesels.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but when
0: either street or off-road riders, the lack of traction at the back wheel is a problem. So can we talk about why it happens? Why does the rear wheel lose traction? What's sort of the physics behind it? I think without getting too
1: technical, because I can't, when the adhesion of the rubber onto whatever surface it's on, you know, the best possible scenario would be a warm racetrack that's been vacuumed before the race and the tire is incredibly soft, almost gummy. Where with aggressive riding, that tire literally shreds. So the tiny bit of road track racing that I did, more practicing really, um, you would go through a set of tires on a weekend. That's how you know we talk as adventure riders. You know, you get a couple years out of a rear tire, you get a weekend out of the best. Traction tire, but that condition of really good soft, soft rubber and a perfectly dry, clean track that changes once we get out onto the road or adventure riders off road. So, whenever we challenge traction, usually we lose it at the rear wheel because that's our driving wheel that throttle or brake breaks loose. And that's why it's one of my favorite lessons to teach, because I think it's inevitable. I don't care who you are, where or what you ride, you're going to lose traction. And that's often followed by a crash, if people don't know how to handle it.
0: You know what I was thinking is another way to say it would be, it's when the rear wheel, when the spinning of the rear wheel doesn't match the speed over ground. When those speeds change or when there's a difference between the two, whether it's an acceleration or braking, that's what we're talking about.
1: Yes. Yeah, there's a few other reasons we can get into it later is why it happens and when and how you can counteract it. But no, that's a good
0: description. So so basically, it's either brake-induced or, or throttle-induced, correct? Those are the two instances. Yeah.
1: Those are the two main ones, but the terrain, you could have the exact same amount of throttle on, but then you hit black ice. If you're in, in our kind of, you know, in our spring before the sun comes up, there could be moisture on the road that is actually frozen into ice until the sun breaks it down and loosens it up. So you're riding along at exactly the same amount of RPM going to the back wheel. All of a sudden you're in the ditch wondering how you got there. Right. So you know, same thing in leaves.
0: wet. Yeah, I was gonna say wet leaves or or mud or something. I, I see what you're saying. So and and what happens there is we had traction, as you were saying before, until we got to the ice, and then we lose traction, but because we have the power on, the wheel spins up.
1: Yes. Uh, The same thing could happen in Australia or Qatar. You know, the wind blows very fine particles of sand onto the road surface, but it only does that where there's a break in the tree or land mass that allows the wind to carry it there. So one section of the road or the corner is fantastic. You're getting into the corner, you're dialing it up. All of a sudden, the bike does a 360 on you because you just hit that sand. Right. So
0: environmental changes add a lot of problem. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so one of them would be when you're accelerating and when you're riding along, that would be under acceleration, right? The other one would be, would be under braking. So the tire either driving or dragging when it happens. is That's right, right?
1: Yes. And uh, for the throttle lack of traction at the mm-hmm. rear wheel, it's Usually, where it causes problems most is in when we're leaned over. Because oh, okay. that the, the physics interacting with traction are compounded when we're leaned over. You have the same amount of tire on the ground, but now there's other physics happening where it's pushing laterally against the tread. So left to right, depending on which way you're going. So if you slip a little bit of sand or wet pavement or something that makes it slippery a cor- in a corner, you're more likely when that wheel spins and slides, it's going to the left or the right. Whereas where if you're in a straight line and you really are aggressive on the throttle and your bike has the power to do this, you can break traction. And the tire spins up and you may be wondering, why aren't I not accelerating that fast? It's kind of sitting there, spinning, hovering. Right. And then it hooks up. That's more controllable than when you're in a corner losing
0: track. Okay. So what I was saying about not matching the speed over ground, there's an added thing in there. If it wasn't matching the speed over ground and you stayed in a straight line and the, the rear wheel stayed behind the front wheel, it's not really that big of a deal it's when it starts to go to either side caused by leaning or maybe even off camber um, surface that you're on. Yes. Okay. So that makes sense. Okay. Can you talk about maybe giving, it, maybe even give us a scenario where, where something might happen and what you would do to counter it, maybe start on the road. Yeah. Uh, for street riders. Cause even as adventure
1: riders, We usually ride on pavement to get to or interspersed with our gravel, sand, whatever we're doing. Mm -hmm. So you're riding down a road and one of your favorite corners is coming up on your way home from work. You're banking it in. Maybe you're kind of apexing it. You start on the outside and as you push into the corner, you gravitate towards the middle of the road between the lanes and then you accelerate out of it. So let's say we're getting to the last part of the cornering, which is accelerating, standing the bike up and continuing, but you're still in the curve, you're still leaned over. Mm -hmm. That's when we're most susceptible. So if you give it a bit too much of a crank of the throttle with your right hand, that could really spin up the tire if there was some sand in the corner on top of the pavement and that way uh the back wheel if you're turning left you're leaning left when you light up the back tire and it loses traction it is gonna slide out to the right if that makes sense jim Mm -hmm. it drifts to the right so if you do nothing to correct the steering the back end of the bike could continue circling and angling to the right. And if you don't correct the steering, your whole motorcycle is now pointing to the left. And that could cause what you mentioned earlier, Jim, the nastiest kind of fall on a motorcycle is a high side. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So envision that bike's leaning over. It's coming around sideways, pointing to the left now. So the spinning rear wheel, again, physics, when it gets sideways or perpendicular to the way it used to be traveling, now that back wheel is going to lock up. It stops sliding. And when the back tire regains traction and kind of stops that spin, there's a ton of momentum force pushing you forward. So it I don't care how strong you are, it will throw you up in the air off the motorcycle. That's why it's called a high side. You exit the bike on the high side of it. The preferred crash, you know, if you had to choose one, is a low side where basically you just kind of slide out and you fall down. The bike falls down with you kind of thing, but you're not thrown up in the air over the handlebars
0: hmm So what is the counter for that? If you were going along and you started to give it some power, it's accelerating and it starts to spin around, how do we counter that?
1: Well, oh, I'm so glad you asked that because it's my most favorite lesson I think I do. You know, when I was younger, it used to be jumping. Mm. I love jumping. love teaching it uh, to kids at motocross camp where we would get their speed appropriate for the distance they had to travel in the air and we'd have to teach them you know if you feel like your bike's going to land on the front tire crack the throttle in the air there's a bit of physics a bit of science or if you're flipping over backwards jam on your rear brake when the bike's up in the air and that alters the gyros and the bike will land better
0: you mean there's a bit of science and there's a bit of art is that what you're saying
1: Oh, yeah, a yeah. bit of practice as well.
0: Yeah. But I'm I'm getting too old to do those great big jumps anymore <laughs> now. I
1: let the kids do them. So I've switched to skid school. So what happens? Um, we believe that street rider training around the world, Jim, many instructors this weekend will be teaching people, maybe not in Canada, they're closing down now, but everywhere else where it's warm, they're going to teach breaking, and possibly emergency braking, getting on the rear brake hard. If the bike doesn't have ABS, then it's really easy to lock up the rear brake when we're doing hard braking. And then it slides. Now, the street rider training instructors around the world, a lot of them will say, don't slide the back wheel, you're better to get threshold braking just before it locks up. That's what's better. But for a new rider or even a pretty experienced rider, it's very hard to modulate the amount of brake and it changes with traction and road surface. So where it segues into the cornering issue we were talking about is we teach people to purposely lock up the back wheel in training again and again and again. And then we learn how to control the lack of traction. So people who have ridden dirt bikes a lot, when they get on the pavement in the scenario we were talking about, you're turning left on a paved road and you hit some sand, or you accelerate too early, those kids or the people who have ridden a lot of dirt, when the back wheel steps out, they start giggling because they've done it hundreds Mm -hmm. of times where a lot of novice or inexperienced traction loss people they fall down and it's so unnecessary it causes so many single vehicle accidents around the world merely because people don't know how to control a lack of traction so when it happens if people have some practice with traction loss the correct maneuver when the back wheel starts sliding out to the right and the whole bike is turning left, all you have to do with the handlebars is point the headlight where you want to go. That's the simplest Mm -hmm. way to tell it. I think people get confused, especially over the radio, when we say, turn into the skid. What does that mean? (laughs) So you've got to correct the bike completely turning left and getting sideways in that curve by straightening the handlebar, turning it a little bit to the right, and there's a big hinge right behind the handlebar. The rest of the bike is gonna follow the front wheel, wherever you point it. But you have to take control to counteract that sliding rear wheel to the right. You have to move your handlebars to the right, which brings it back in line and saves you from high-siding.
0: So, Clinton, would it, would it make sense, am I, am I seeing this right? And, and And what I'm seeing is when you're talking about pointing the wheel where you want to go, you're really just pointing the wheel in the direction that you were going to begin with, or keeping the wheel yes. pointed in the direction you're going. Because when the rear wheel starts to come around, obviously the whole bike is turning, which is turning your steering. So you just counter that by keeping the wheel pointed in the same direction that you were going to begin with. Yeah, exactly. That's a better way to explain it. Okay. So, so that makes sense. And, and then what we ride it out. And like you said, I mean, if you know how to do this, this is fun.
1: Yes. But I think it's like anything we've ever talked about as a rider. If you don't have practiced muscle memory response habits, Mm. when the car cuts you off, if you've never done emergency braking, let's say, You might well be that percentage of riders who just go, ah, there's no, no breaking, no slowing down. They freeze, they panic because when the brain panics, I believe it does what's habitual. Right. And so if you don't have the habits of correcting the steering, like we just described, you're probably going to fall down in that
0: corner. Okay. Do you have another scenario where it might happen, and and how we, what corrective maneuver we would take?
1: Yeah. Um, one of them, we. It's a little
0: bit more. We're going to take a quick break. I have two things to tell you about, but stay with us. We got a lot more coming up. Rene Cormier went around the world on a budget of uh, $25 a day. He was four and a half years on the road. Rene was actually one of the first people that I interviewed for Adventure Rider Radio almost a decade ago. Now, since his round-the-world trip over the past 13 years or so, he has dedicated himself to showing others some of these incredible places and experiences that he found on the road through his company called Renadian Adventures. He founded Renadian so that he could continue doing what he loves, travel by motorcycle, and now he takes adventure riders all over the world on tours selected largely from the favorite places that René found while he was on his trip. These are places which feature big landscapes and not many people. Now, he runs with small groups under 10 bikes, and he offers trips into Africa, Mongolia, South America, New Zealand, Scotland, and Canada— These are upscale, boutique-style accommodation trips, riding predominantly BMW GS motorcycles. Now, as I said, he's been doing it for 13 years now, and almost 40% of the riders this year are repeat customers. That's incredible and inspires confidence. Riders choose Renadian Adventures because the passion that René has for what he does. He has long-term guides that have been with him for years— Including full time staff in South Africa, Canada, and the US, unforgettable adventures by day, and recharge in ultimate comfort by night. Renadian.com is the website. Renadian Adventures, that's Renadian, like his name, and Adian, so Renee and Adian.com, Renadian.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Renadian.com. HexInnovate.com is the inventor of the GS911. Now, in case you're not aware, that's the diagnostic tool that has changed the lives of many BMW riders. The GS911 allows you to see inside the computer system that runs BMW motorcycles. It can check fault codes and help diagnose problems in the system in a way that only a dealership could before. It's truly revolutionary. It can save you the expense not only of a dealership visit, but also the GS911 gives you some peace of mind while you're riding your bike, well, anywhere, because if something goes wrong with your BMW, instead of it being left as a dead bike at the side of the road or the trail, you pull out your GS911 out of your pocket and begin checking systems. It's a game changer for BMW riders and probably should be a staple for every BMW rider toolkit. So that's the GS911. Now, Hex Innovate, Also invented the Easy Can accessory manager. Now, the Easy Can is a device that plugs into all kinds of uh, modern motorcycles into their CAN bus system. Not just BMWs, Harleys, Ducatis, KTM's, Husqvarnas, Triumph, Yamaha, Honda. The Easy Can allows you to add accessories without cutting a bunch of wires and potentially voiding your warranty and or messing up the system. It allows you to use your existing controls to turn accessories on or off. It's like an amazingly powerful unit. If you add an accessory to your bike and you have a CAN bus system, then you should look at the Easy CAN. Even the OEMs like the Easy CAN, the, the manufacturers do, because it's a way for riders to add electrical accessories without creating issues in the motorcycle's electrical system. Now, the person behind Hex Innovate, who makes the GS 911 and the EasyCAN. CAN, is an avid motorcyclist just like you and I. And I think that's a huge part of what makes companies like Hex Innovate so great is that that passion behind the company itself. The website is hexinnovate.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in the that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Hexinnovate.com. Okay. D- do you have another scenario where it might happen and, and how we, what corrective maneuver we would take? Yeah. Um,
1: one of them, we it's a little bit more advanced, but you're climbing a hill off-road on your adventure bike. And there might be different traction on the way up the hill. Some of it's you know, almost hard like rock. Then there's softer parts up higher, denoted by the changing color. Maybe it's shiny black. That's mud. Halfway up the hill, there's a little creek that crossed the hill on an angle. So you're riding along. You've got quite a bit of throttle on to get your momentum to get up that hill. All of a sudden, the back wheel hits this looser traction, and it starts spinning. One thing you can do is shift your body weight backwards. So you're standing up, leaning forward up until that point. When you sense the back wheel really is losing traction and spinning, if you go further into what we call the tiger position, it's a crouch. You put your weight, your butt further back, and that puts more weight on the tire, which gives you more traction because it's not as light then. Mm -hmm. And that may be enough traction to get you through this Kind of muddy section with no problem at all.
0: Okay, how about um, how about some slippery trails where you might run into it? What would happen then?
1: Yes, yeah, same idea. This time of year in the part of Canada I'm in, most of the maple trees, oak trees have dropped their leaves. So uh, something we caution people when riding in the fall is those leaves may well be wet, and they cover up roots. So if the trail has been there for years and years, there's erosion that's happened from people walking, animals using the trail, the soils depleted, and roots of the trees are exposed. So you're going around the corner at the speed you did in the summertime when you could see the root, and now you can't see it. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden your front tire or rear tire is gone. Like it's just not, it's like it fell off the bike because it's a hard, slippery route covered by wet leaves. Mm-hmm. And if you're leaned over, it's so easy to lose control and traction. So you've got to kind of counteract that by going a lot slower on corners because that's when you're most susceptible to crashing.
0: You mentioned about how it's either going to be from braking or acceleration combined with a lean or off-camber surface that we're on. So if you're on an off-camber surface, for instance, and you're riding along a a trail and you get to maybe there's a slippery section, it could be anything, mud, I guess it doesn't really matter what it is, but the rear wheel starts to go out. What's our corrective maneuver for that?
1: Uh, you know the thing I've always talked about, Jim, is your two fingers closest to your left thumb shouldn't be around the grip. They should be resting on the clutch. So whenever our throttle gets us into trouble, the clutch will get us out. Mm-hmm. So in that scenario you you just described, the back wheel starts spinning and maybe it slides to the right or left. You're going into the bushes or the trees or into the ditch if you can't regain traction control. And the best way to do that is take away the wheel spin by gently
0: slipping in the clutch a little bit.
1: And everything gets calm after that.
0: And by doing that, you're reducing the power, which is making the rear wheel spin, and then it's falling back in line in your direction of travel
1: yeah. and then hook the clutch back up again quickly as soon as you've got it
0: in control right. Does that work on a road? I mean, could it be I mean, it could be asphalt. It could be gravel. Would it be the same sort of thing would would you recommend? Like, as you know your example, going back to your example on the corner there that you were talking about.
1: Yes, um, it's a, at higher speeds um, it takes, I think, a bit more of an expert pull on the clutch to modulate traction. Now, road racers, you know, the Valentino Rossi folks, they use throttle to actually steer the motorcycle. And the clutch is always part of that, clutch and throttle. So leaned right over, There, if you have your bike at full lock, a good way to turn it even sharper is slide the back wheel around to the right, and it'll turn a sharper corner to the left, correct? Mm-hmm. So if at very, very high speeds with their knee and even their elbow dragging, the top, top riders in the world will spin the back wheel up on purpose. So it slides a little and that's how they control um, their corner speed. They can actually go through a tighter corner faster, certainly than I can, (laughs) because they can steer with the throttle. But the clutch is a very big part of that. But if somebody is losing, um, if you chop the throttle off in that scenario we talked about, the riders in the corner leaned over, they give it too much throttle before the bike stands up. If you simply chop the throttle, that can cause a high side. Because there's such a suspension change when you shut off the gas. But if you slip the clutch in just a little, that may get rid of the wheel spin. So the clutch combined with steering the way that you used to be going, pointing the headlight where you want to go, that's the solution. Mm.
0: So for the average rider then, they probably concentrate on keeping the bike going in the, in, the, in the correct direction by turning the wheel to your direction of travel. And um, I guess the clutch thing would be a more advanced maneuver?
1: Yes, it is. And as you stand the bike up, it gets rid of the wheel spin because there's less likelihood of it sliding out if it's straight up and down. But when it's leaned over, it's really easy for it to slide out just because of the physics.
0: Right. So when you're standing up, you're saying when you're coming out of the corner, as it stands up, you're likely able to slide into the corner stand it up as you're coming out of the corner and everything pulls back into place. Yes. So when I taught at a racetrack,
1: um, we would say, go in slow, come out hot. But don't come out when you're still leaned over with full throttle or even three-quarter throttle because you're going to crash. Right. And examples of that is not so much current because a lot of the big racers now Um, Have traction control, wheelie control, all kinds of electronic assistance for making them or allowing them to go much faster. So, but, uh, you know, 15 years ago, there was a lot of high sides on racetracks right after a corner or mid corner because the uh, racer got on the gas too soon. The bike hadn't stood up at all. And that caused the wipeout.
0: Oh, uh, right. I, I want to ask you about that. So let's, uh, let's wait, though. Because first, I just want to go back yeah. to that mud and the slippery stuff that we talked about. Yes. Because you've said before, and we've talked about this, and you just said it again, the clutch gets you out of trouble. When we're doing our slow speed maneuvers, anytime the, the back wheel starts to slide out because of acceleration, lot, loss of traction as we're driving that wheel, you're saying that the correct impers- maneuver is to pull that clutch in, snap that rear rear wheel back in place, and then get the clutch back out, or at least modulate it so reduce some power yes. to to get the rear wheel back in line, and then we're off again. Exactly,
1: and um, I'm glad you added modulate because if shutting pulling the clutch right to the bar is so abrupt for traction, it causes a big suspension change, and that snap or lack of traction it can cause problems. So just a slight, you don't need to shut off the power completely going to the back wheel, unhook it completely, just feather or ride the clutch a little with two fingers, and then everything will get calm. But we've talked about it before, Jim, once you've lost traction and that bike is sliding around, that's pretty scary, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So when we're a little scared, Our human reaction is to hang on to the grips really, really tight. It's almost impossible at that point to think, "What did that nut on Adventure Rider Radio say?" I think he said, "Pulling the clutch (laughs) now—it's too late. You're already in the—you're in the bushes, or you're spitting mud out." Mm -hmm. So the I think a good off-road riding adventure rider, the two fingers are out over the clutch. Any time there could be traction challenges.
0: Now on the street, on asphalt pavement, with the rear brake lockup, which anybody with ABS, of course, is is not experiencing. But with any bike without that, and let's just stick to that for now. What about the the thought process of when that if you if you get on the brakes too hard and you lock up that rear wheel of keeping it locked up to you stop? Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, it's controversial in different programs. Some people say when you feel the back wheels locked up because you put a little too much brake on, a little too abrupt, curl your toes in your right boot. And that's enough to modulate or lift the brake application power slightly. Ugh. Curl your toes. And it is tough to do. The person's just put boots on they've never ridden before and you're asking them to modulate it's a very advanced skill and it changes from bike to bike brake pad width tire tread depth um, how heavy your right leg is and your skill there's so many variables but the truth is threshold braking maximum rear wheel Braking for stopping distance is at a point just before skidding. Mm -hmm. But it is so hard for a street rider or a dirt rider to kind of get to that point that most of us will skid and lock it up. Mm -hmm. Now, the danger is mid-skid, you're still moving at some kind of speed, taking your foot completely off the brake. That is not recommended, (laughs) especially If it has started to slide out or drift to the right or left, because now what you've done, there was compression of the rear suspension because you've jammed on the brakes and front suspension. But now it's unsprung weight. You took the brake off. It comes up a little bit more. So now we've got less weight on the back tire. It could slide out even more. Just So you can't abruptly just pull in the clutch or take your foot off the brake once it's sliding. It's far more advised to ride it out. Keep it locked up until you're down to very, very slow speeds or stopped.
0: I guess when you're going along on the asphalt and you lock up the rear wheel at a decent speed, the rear wheel just becomes a chunk of rubber going down the road. It has no shape anymore because it's not rotating, So it's just a patch of rubber skidding along the road. So if it comes out sideways and you suddenly let the brake off, well, now it becomes a wheel again and starts to spin. The first thing it wants to do is whip right back behind the front wheel so you end up high siding. Yeah, and it can hurt. I've done it a couple of times, both on racetracks
1: at slow speeds. Like uh, one of my favorite pictures, Jim, it's hilarious. It's me on a race bike with about seven racers behind me and it looks like I'm leading and when you first look at the picture you think oh you were on bike number seven Clinton you're right out front I know they'd all caught up to me (laughs) so I was actually in last place and they're about to lap me but I'm taking the whole corner up so they couldn't that's when the picture was taken Uh, so no one knows that You know, anybody asks, I was in first place. So that's a picture you've got on the wall. (laughs) No, it's in a book somewhere. I didn't put it on the wall. But um, my point is when I was spurred on by my ego to say, oh, my God, how come you're so slow? You're such a loser. Crack that throttle. I did it in a corner. So it was only in first gear because it was a really tight apex corner. And I lit it up to catch up to people who had passed me on the outside of that corner and the bike hadn't stood up yet. And it spun out on me so quickly. All the stuff I was just talking about, I didn't do. <laughs> and it high-sided me. Um, so the bike wasn't damaged, but it, I don't know how high in the air I went, but it knocked the wind out of me, really sore ribs for a couple of <sighs> weeks. But I learned... Uh, don't listen to that idiot voice in your helmet that says, yeah, yeah, you could catch them. It's yeah. probably not a great idea. But, but on the racetrack, you can learn a lot about how to corner, even if you don't go into racing. If you could take a race school, you'll learn a lot about what we're talking about.
0: Uh, avoiding high siding, how to control a back wheel at a traction. You had a story about that, um, about a customer who chain came off.
1: Oh my goodness. Yeah. He had a Yamaha FZ one. So it's a thousand CC four cylinder. People called them the old guys r one cause very similar engine, but it's more of an upright kind of a sport touring bike. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he came for training on dirt bikes and. Within days, he was going to cross Canada to British Columbia. And when I was looking over his bike, because I owned one of them years ago, I said, man, your chain's pretty loose. He goes, yeah, no, I, I don't like it too tight. I'm going, well, that's like three inches too loose. Anyway, didn't listen to me. Went all the way across Canada, visited relatives. He was coming back. Somewhere on the prairies, the chain was so loose, when he shifted gears and cracked the throttle, he said he was doing about 160 kilometers or 100 miles an hour on the Trans-Canada Highway. Mm -hmm. The chain jumped off the rear sprocket partially. Now the extra links trying to go around the front sprocket jammed into the engine case. Mm. And sometimes there's so much inertia, it punched a hole into the crankcase. So now the chain is locked up the back wheel. All the oil, that, or most of the oil, is coming out of the hole onto the back tire because it's falling on the ground. Uh And he's doing 100 miles an hour. You can imagine how exciting that was. Man. And he said to me, when he got back, he came for some more training. And He said, you know, your lesson on skid school, he figures it saved him from a really big crash. Because when he finally got that thing to a stop and he looked back, there was a black line of oil and rubber that looked like a snake for hundreds of meters. And he didn't crash and he attributed it to the lessons
0: we did in the dirt that we want to talk about today. Wow. Wow. That is so incredible. I mean, yes, skill. And there's some luck in there too. That's just a uh, big, big luck because yeah. that could have come off on a corner Yeah, and
1: you know, in BC could have gone off. They would never have found them to missing. the vultures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <That's
0: right. laughs> vultures were circling. Hey Clint, there's some, some questions here I want to ask you about yeah. because you mentioned several times about ABS uh, you mentioned traction control. Now ABS is supposed to counter this locking up of the rear wheel when we step on the brake, and traction control is supposed to help prevent us from giving too much power. And you said you talked about that as well with the race bikes having traction control. Well, now many new bikes have ABS and traction control. So, can they you do. just talk about those a little bit about those two systems and what they do?
1: Yeah what i think it's fantastic for that scenario we were talking about jim wet road it's just rained or or is raining you're leaned over and you realized oh i'm i'm late for work and you really pin the throttle when you're leaned over and the back wheel slides out mm-hmm. well traction control when it senses the rear wheel is spinning sliding it shuts the power off. So
0: for on road, when it's wet, fantastic safety feature. But as you said though, a minute ago, it's not really, it's not shutting it off, though. It's reducing, right? No. Yeah. It, you'll feel and
1: hear a bleh, uh because it won't allow you to give it any RPM. It, it just cuts the engine traction control
0: is trying to match that rear wheel speed to the front wheel speed using the computer and everything else that goes on behind the scenes. And most of the bikes will have
1: different levels that you
0: can adjust, you know,
1: a little bit of traction control or a lot of it, depending Uh, on how you, what button you push. And then ABS, of course, it isn't, um, you know, a special different kind of braking system. It's just computer controlled, what there is on an abs wheel is a little disc the size of a teacup saucer and there's a magnet attached to let's say it's your front fork as this little teacup saucer rotates around the magnet senses that movement and when it locks up or stops movement abs which is actually anti-block system, the Germans termed the phrase. "block in German, I'm told, means skid. So what happens is, the magnet tells the computer, "Hey, we're skidding here. It's locked up." So it will modulate the rear or the front brake application. It will go on and off many times a second to prevent it locking up. So in rain, it's safer because, or in snow, you and I will be driving around on snowy roads soon. And before ABS, people would put their brakes on approaching a corner. The tires lock up and you can't steer it anymore. It just went straight off the corner (laughs) into the ditch. Where with ABS, you can still steer. It'll allow you to decelerate
0: without locking up the wheels so it's like it's like the, the perfect condition now except it's not completely perfect though, is it? no, well in our world and all our listeners we're going to take a quick break but when we come back we've got more including Clinton has some homework for you so you can get comfortable with skids stay with us Now, here's a device that'll change the way you ride and make riding more fun. It certainly did for me. The Atlas Throttle Lock. The Atlas Throttle Lock is an ultra-thin device that just clamps onto your handlebar. It's very easy to take on and off. and allows you to set your throttle position for those open stretches of road and relax your fingers, your hand, your wrist, your forearm, and even your shoulder. I find the difference incredible. In fact, I didn't realize that the muscles on my right side were so affected by just holding my throttle position for a long period of time. And the Atlas Throttle Lock is a thing of rare beauty, built with the craftsmanship of a Swiss watch or Apple product, and it works perfectly. It's got two buttons on it that provide a sort of tactile feedback like no other. One button for engage. The other button for disengage, when you press them, the feel tells all. There's no need to be distracted by looking down. You can actually feel it in your thumb as you press it. And I think that's invaluable. And once it's engaged, you can add more throttle or back it off without disengaging. You just roll throttle on or roll throttle back a little bit and the Atlas holds the new position. And, and by the way, I'm happy to tell you this is another rider-driven company because this product was actually invented from Heidi and David Winter's trip around the world to up on their KTM. They got very frustrated with what was available for them for a throttle lock. Anyway, the rest is history. They invented the Atlas Throttle Lock. The website, atlasthrottlelock.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. atlasthrottlelock.com. Now, if you really want to connect, I mean, seriously connect with your motorcycle, then swap out those stock pegs for a set of IMS Products foot pegs designed for your style of riding. IMS has been doing this since 1976, making super tough, incredibly designed products for motorcycle riders around the globe and racers around the globe. The owner, Scott Wright, is an avid adventure rider, and the whole crew are deeply passionate about what they do. A properly designed foot peg like the IMS foot pegs give you a better connection between your boot and the peg. It will give you added leverage for controlling your bike when things get technical, and it will reduce the stress in your feet and legs. On top of that, it will keep the ergonomics of your foot access for your shifter and your brake lever. All of this is so important. And IMS Products has designed an entire lineup of stainless steel, heat-treated foot pegs from their large ADV1 and ADV2 for fire roads and long distance. The next size down, rally pegs with their tall-tooth design. And to the core enduro for the more technical rider or even racer, each series for a different style of riding. Mine seriously changed what I could do with my bike and I felt like I was a better rider just because of what, what I could do with my peg weighting and lean angle. All IMS products are made in the USA, they're warranted for life, and they're tough enough for the race circuit. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. So it's like, it's like the, the perfect condition now, except it's not completely perfect, though, is it?
1: No. Well, in our world and all our listeners, uh, in an adventure bike scenario, let's take traction control first. We normally shut it off because if you're going up a hill, you need to give it a little throttle, a little oomph to get up that hill, momentum. If the computer senses that your back wheel is spinning faster than the front wheel it cuts the power Mm -hmm. so you may well not get up that hill so on most bikes traction control is one control that you can shut on and off while you're riding whereas abs we also want to shut that off for off-road especially down really big steep hills, soft terrain. Because the rear tire with brake application is going to skid far easier on a downhill loose terrain, when it is getting far easier, the ABS that's preventing the back wheel from, brake from locking, it comes on a lot more. So you get, A lot further braking distance before you can stop. Mm -hmm. It'll feel like you have no brakes. It's a little
0: scary. Yeah. Yeah. And anybody's experienced it's terrifying. It's a, and mud too, you know, boot into mud and and get on the brakes and it just feels like you have no brakes at all.
1: Yes. So a lot of adventure bikes, especially 10 year old Japanese adventure bikes, um, Suzuki V Stroms, the Yamaha Super Tenere. Those era of bikes that you cannot shut off the ABS, like most street bikes, you cannot shut it off. The bike either comes with it or without. Mm -hmm. And North America, we're way behind Europe and Asia, where statutes, there's actually laws that you can't drive in Europe without ABS-equipped vehicles. Now, they're grandfathered in, You know, if there's a 1960s Vespa, it doesn't have ABS. It's still completely legal. But new manufactured vehicles, all the Hondas, all the BMWs, well, they've been ABS for years. But you can't sell a bike in most of Europe unless it's ABS equipped. And that law isn't here in North America. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the big manufacturers, especially American ones, there was a time when not many of their models came with ABS. It's slowly evolving
0: into all of the models will have it. Mm-hmm. So but we'll it's catch still an up option. eventually. It's still an option oh, yeah. on some bikes. It's a, so it you, you buy it or you pay a little extra money to get the, the ABS. Yeah. I would always advise somebody, pay the money. It could save your life. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And and the um, the same as the traction control. And I was going to mention. I think I might have told you before, but I've had a, I have traction control on my bike. I've been riding along in the rain before, and I saw the the traction control light flickering, which tells me that it's been activated. I had no idea.
1: Yes. Yeah. No, it's very cool features. Mm-hmm. Life saving.
0: Um, I wanted to ask you about because you, you know, you've you've said this and you've you've said it for years as we've been talking about how when you get into trouble, you know, with the throttle in mud, let's just talk in an off-road situation here, it's the clutch that will get you out by by pulling in or modulating the clutch. So reducing the spin of the rear wheel, pulling it back in line. Okay, that's great. What if you're riding a Honda DCT? Yeah. I've actually tried this
1: because one of our favorite customers, James, I've talked about him before. He, he's gone on most of the big adventure trips that I've been on. Okay. UCon,
0: so Clinton, hang on. Let, let me just first get you just explain what DCT is so that someone who doesn't know, understand what yeah, we're talking about. It's called
1: a dual clutch transmission. That's the short form of it. So on the right side of a Honda Africa Twin, and many of their other models, they have actually two clutches. So it sticks out a little bit wider, takes a little bit of getting used to. It adds a little bit of weight. But what happens is the innermost clutch on that bike, and correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, if you're a mechanic, but I'm pretty sure one of the clutches handles the gears that are even numbered. So second, fourth, and sixth. The other clutch that is right beside it handles first, third, and fifth. So with this system activated, there's no left hand clutch. There's no lever there. Far out is a parking brake, but it's not the clutch. Don't grab that. So you put it in gear with a button, And essentially, if you're not moving, it just put it into first. And then, as you accelerate, it seamlessly shifts into second, then third, fourth. As soon as you slow down or activate brakes, it gears down. But it's not like an automatic car where you feel and hear the transmission shifting. This dual-clutch process which has been in like Porsches and Ferraris, F1 for years and years, it does it seamlessly. And it's very hard to denote a sound of a gear change. It's that smooth. Mm-hmm. So there's no hand clutch. So what I practiced on James's bike in the mud, this big Africa twin, is I if the traction control was off and you lit it up, You would have to just breathe on the rear brake a little to bring it back under control, similar to the clutch. But, um, you know, my muscle memory of clutch manipulation is so ingrained after, despite a lot of concussions, you know, 50 (laughs) years or more of riding. I don't even think about doing it. Yeah. That's muscle memory.
0: Yeah.
1: But. Um, on this bike, I
0: was conscious of trying to control it, and that's the only way I could come up with it. You don't have as much finesse with your foot as you do with your fingers. No. Yeah, but no, that's maybe
1: a- the. I have a buddy that's put over
0: probably hundred and
1: sixty thousand miles, way over two hundred and forty kilom, hundred thousand kilometers on his DCT, and he's an avid adventure rider. So I'm going to have to ask this buddy of mine, Warren. What he does because he obviously rode clutches his whole life, but loves this DCT technology.
0: I had to ask you that because, and I'm seeing like I'm hearing from more people who have DCT bikes, and they're wondering, you know, how to how to ride this thing off road. It's a it's a completely different animal.
1: Where it really shines, Jim, is you could stop that bike because I was lucky enough to be an instructor that introduced the Africa Twin. In Canada to the journalists who are invited to come test it, I would stop in a mountain in Nelson, B.C., halfway up. And we've always said, you know, don't stop on a hill if you can possibly avoid it, because the likelihood of you being able to let the clutch out and continue upwards, it's pretty slim on a big, heavy bike. Mm -hmm. The back tire just buries. They're too heavy. They get stuck. Well, this DCT, the computer was smarter and a better rider than I was because I could stop and just accelerate. And if I had the traction control adjusted properly, the thing just hooked up and walked away from a stop position on a hill. And I would try it on the exact same bike, except it was equipped with a traditional clutch. Couldn't do it. I just dug holes. So it definitely has its value off-road adventure riding. And there's a lot of them out there now.
0: There is a lot of them out there. But when they came out, it it almost, uh, it was the the big question was, are these things going to sweep the market? Is this going to become the norm? You know, we're going to do away with the clutch. But that didn't happen. There are a lot of them. There are a lot of people riding them, but they certainly haven't swept the market.
1: No. It was a DCT I crashed in Colorado. I don't know if you remember that story. I do remember that. Yes, that's right. James came to this. It was a really big washout. Um, You know, if we'd had a little bit of a hill on a dirt bike, I would have jumped it. And when you shut off many bikes, shut the ignition off, which he did to wait for me, uh, when I just jumped on, started it. Oh, yeah, DCT. I remember this. Put it in gear. I go to give it a big shot of throttle. Well, the traction control was on the bike. It was like, just, I looked like that old guy on laughing on the bicycle who just fell over. So I crashed hard and broke his mirror. Mm.
0: Yes. That's the thing with the, with the ABS and DCTs, like, or, sorry, ABS and traction control. When you shut it off, when you <laughs> shut the bike off and start up again, it automatically resets as it should. You know, to make sure yes. that it's on for the next time you ride. And if it's not right. your bike, I guess when you don't spot the lights on, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't remind you that it's not on. Yeah, and a lot of adventure
1: bikes, KTM, BMW, there's often an optional electronics package. Um, BMW, we call it the Enduro Pro setting. So you can set up your bike. So that when it's in Enduro Pro mode, when you shut it off, it freezes the electronics the way you had it set up. Maybe traction control off, ABS off. So when you restart it, it's set up the way you left it. Oh. But, that's, but it's only in those particular bikes that have that optional mode. And that's right. very handy. Uh, For us teaching, we shut off the bikes 30 times a day to talk and tell a story, especially if I'm teaching. And the poor person starts it up again. You've got to cycle through the modes and get it to off-road and then shut off the ABS and the traction control. It's, It's quite laborious. So being able to put it in this pro mode um, you're acknowledging that you know it's off.
0: All right. That's, it's, that's a good idea. Nice to have. With mine, what I do is I'll kill the switch just with the kill switch, but leave the yes. ignition on if I'm just stopping to talk for a minute and then start it back up and the ABS stays off and the traction control stays off and I don't have to go through the holding of the buttons to, to shut it down. Exactly. I was just going to mention... A little hack or cheat for people with a bike, if they happen to have an adventure bike with an ABS system that you can't turn off, and I think some of the Yamahas had that for a while. Uh, The only way to to turn it off is to, one, go through the work to undo the screw for the sensor on one of the wheels and then wire it up out of the way so you don't have it, but that's really inconvenient to do. Or um, pick it, put it up on the stand and spin one wheel when you start it up and get the error on ABS. That'll turn off your ABS. Yeah, I
1: guess 2010 was the first year of the Yamaha 1200 Super 10-year in Canada. So Mm -hmm. um, I was lucky enough to be given the prototype model to use at our school. And I had BMWs at the school at that time. And I questioned a Japanese engineer from Yamaha, why can't I shut the ABS off? Their concern is that the public may have the abs off and forget yeah. then they're riding home on a wet paved road and that could cause big problems so that's why a lot of the japanese manufacturers you know in days past decided that you can't shut the abs off it's a safety feature it's good it works but they're starting to come around the yamaha t7 you can shut it off. Oh. There's a button. It's off-road mode, and the ABS isn't there. It's still on the front wheel, but it's not on the back wheel. And mm. the 2024 model has levels of adjustment. So it, they're coming around. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, I, mean,
0: I would rather have some control over it myself. I, mean, I don't need big brother yes. sort of watching over my shoulder. I'll take responsibility right. for myself for it. Yeah, and I, and I think a lot of us riders would do want to do that.
1: Yes, but we have to be careful not to sound like the nut in the 60s that, that didn't want a front brake on his bike. Right. <laughs> you
0: know, sometimes the engineer knows best. Yeah, no, that's, that's yeah. very true. That's very true.
1: I did learn that trick with the early model 1200 Tenere was put it on the center stand, put it in second gear, and the computer freaks out because it's going, why is one wheel moving and one isn't? Yeah. And it shuts off the ABS computer.
0: Yeah, and gives you an error. And then if you just ride it with the error, then then you're fine. You shut off yeah. the ignition, start up again, and you're back to normal again. It resets. Yeah.
1: Uh, we've had people come up to the Ucom with us. And if they haven't shut off ABS before, we'll get them to practice it or suggest they do. I remember a gentleman with a V-Strom, a modern one, he couldn't shut the ABS off. So someone said, you know, pull the fuse on that. Because there's a fuse going to your ABS pump and you're left with perfectly good hydraulic brakes. But I cautioned him and listeners, if you go into electronic features that were designed by really smart people and you circumnavigate those by pulling fuses, etc., or unhooking ABS sensors, uh, who are you really fooling? Mm-hmm. That could bite you. Just be very careful doing that.
0: Yeah, especially uh, pulling a fuse. That that you know, I, I understand it, but pulling a fuse is—you're you're yanking a fuse out. That is, it's not a switch; it's not meant to be taken out and plugged back in. Taken out and no. plugged back in. I think the, the wheel spinning is a much better idea before yes. you start, if you can.
1: Yeah, or if you're doing so much adventure riding off road, uh, purchase a bike that allows you that flexibility and braking choice makes sense that's probably the
0: best you know it's funny because you say about technology and you say about you know these engineers they know so much they've so much invested in these bikes and it's so true any modification we do at all whether we're changing the suspension or anything at all you have to understand that you're messing with something that was really perfected at a much much higher level than you can even comprehend as a rider so it's something to really think about when you're thinking you're improving things because i you know, like we, we talk about people who do uh, modifications, like put an exhaust on, a freer flowing exhaust, and that's all they do. And they say, well, I get more power. Well, you don't. You actually have decreased your performance <laughs> by doing that, right? And that's where one yeah. of those things where you think that you're doing something that you understand to make sense, but there's a lot of engineering goes into this stuff. There sure is. Uh, the pipe, whether you believe loud pipe
1: sleeve lives or not, I don't personally, and I've done a lot of, as scientific as I could, analysis of it. Mm-hmm. But engineers, as you say, there, there's a measurement of the air going into your carburetor or fuel injection system. That has to be equaled with the correct percentage of air going out. So one of my pet fees is the chucklehead who takes off his stock pipes, throws on straight pipes, and wonders why it runs like crap. They haven't yeah. rejetted or recalibrated the fuel injection. Mm-hmm. So it's backfiring and spitting. It's not more powerful. It's not faster. All you're doing is firing up your neighbors, yeah. in my opinion. But yeah. Be careful.
0: Clinton, you actually teach riders to skid Their rear wheels on purpose. You take them out and you have them do this. Why would you teach somebody to skid that rear wheel purposely?
1: You know, it's one of our favorite lessons. The instructors get a kick out of the exclamation that the student goes, holy crap, I can't believe I did that. And that was (laughs) so much fun. So even with novices who stay longer than two hours in our half day, full day course, we get you breaking loose traction and learning how to control it. Because it's essential, street or dirt, for keeping a bike upright, especially off-road, because the terrain is going to change. Consequently, the traction is going to change so much more than dry pavement.
0: So you're doing it to create muscle memory in the rider. Yes. Of, of, so when this does happen, they already know what it feels like, and they already have the the muscle memory built in, so they know how to handle it. So in that example you gave on the corner, on the highway, so that sort of thing becomes something that they've experienced before and something they automatically understand. And like you said, if you, if you panic or you start to, to uh, be stressed in any situation, you go back to basics, what you're going to do automatically. Exactly.
1: And it's just muscle memory practice of how to get on the rear brake. Mm-hmm. That in itself is helpful for a beginner. But for experience, a big component of our course is the street rider who hasn't ridden dirt. And we used to call it, uh, dirt is not just for potatoes. But a lot of the people who saw that in the brochure, I don't understand that. What is that? So they weren't in my group, Jim, those people. But we rephrased it, uh, dirt for street riders, basically. And one of the key components is we get you comfortable riding around, standing up, because if you're going to get into off-road, you're probably standing as much as sitting. And just because you're standing up, the bike is still going to lose traction. You still should be able to manipulate foot controls, shifter brake, and front brake and clutch. It doesn't matter where your butt is. Mm -hmm. standing or seated so we get them riding along in on a little dirt bike second gear so for listeners you need 15 20 miles an hour you don't need any faster than that the faster you go the skid is much longer but it could be really exciting and it's good to have some slow speed skid control practice under your belt Before you try, like my friend whose chain came off, 100-mile-an-hour skid control.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And then the process is, it's very simple. You just pull the clutch in and stomp on the rear brake hard. Not gradual or progressive braking like you would approaching a stop sign. I'm talking stomp on
0: it. Just lock it
1: up. Yeah, you purposely want to skid. So ABS is switched off if you can. And then, of course, it's going to slide. So your body position now, under deceleration, you and your bike are going to crouch down. So instead of standing almost upright, when you get on the brake hard, the rear brake only, you have to crouch, stick your butt back. Your elbows are up, holding you, so your body doesn't go over the handlebars. Mm-hmm. Now, in addition to that, one way we, uh, you can go over the handlebars, if you're the street rider, have you ever done braking with just the rear brake? The likelihood is less for a street rider. They've probably always stopped using both brakes or maybe just the front brake. So, if you came, for instance, a road racing background, we never use the rear brake on the, on the racetrack, other than maybe a tiny bit of trail braking, but it's mostly front brake. Mm-hmm. So now some nuts got you in dirt bike gear and he's motioning you to go forward. You're charging down this dirt gravel area. And you see the pylon approaching that he told you to jam the rear brake on. What is your muscle memory going to do, Jim? Which brakes are you going to grab?
0: Probably grab both. You should be grabbing both.
1: Yeah. Well, the street rider is probably going to put the front brake on, even though we've asked them not to just use your rear brake. So it's very important when practicing this to do some Five or six stops with just your foot, no front brake whatsoever. Mm -hmm. We have to break the muscle dependency, the habit of using that front brake because that's what a lot of street riders will do is grab the front brake hard in this instance, and that's a trebuchet. The bike will stop and the rider carries on. (laughs) And it's fine until the landing happens, and then it's not so fine. So it's really important when you're practicing this, you've got to keep repeating rear brake only, rear brake only as you're approaching your stop position.
0: So, as a rider, what what are you getting out of this? You're booting along, you're locking up the rear wheel, you're skidding to a stop. What are you learning from it?
1: Well, one of the things is you get over the anxiety of a skidding wheel. Mm. Like if you watch TV, when the car wheels are skidding a crash follows so skidding freaks out a lot of people when they first do it yeah so the more we do it the more relaxed we are nothing happens i didn't fall off the bike it eventually stopped it wiggled a little he said it might but that's no problem i'm still here Mm -hmm. it was kind of fun so another key component in the practice is when you're putting your foot down on the brake you can't just tap it and then let go because it keeps going again. We want a three-second application of the rear brake stomp. So it locks up and from you know, 15, 20 miles an hour, 25 kilometers an hour, that's enough time that you get a really good long skid and you're at stopped speed or just above stopping speed, just a few kilometers an hour. That's our goal. Mm -hmm. A lot of instructors will have you stop completely, but I don't mind if people don't because the next stage, stage two, is what we're going to talk about in a bit, the hook slide or drifting or brake slide. And that's easier to achieve if you've got practice Riding slowly with the back wheel
0: barely turning or locked up. Okay, and you said this is two stage. So what is stage two? Yeah. Stage two, once people are comfortable
1: with locking up the rear wheel, and we tell them it may well, in stage one, step out a little, where the back wheel is not going to be making the same tire print as the front wheel in the sand or gravel that we're doing this. And it's often the rear wheel will step out a little bit to the right. Because we've talked about standing up and doing peg steering before many times. Mm -hmm. By jumping on the rear brake, you essentially peg weight to the right a little. And that can cause the bike to turn a little. So your weight bias on the foot pegs when hammering on the brake... Could cause it to drift a little bit. And what we tell people is just look straight over the handlebars and turn the headlight, if it has one, pointing where you want to go. Don't worry about the back end wiggling. So when they're comfortable with that, we'll stop and just say, okay, stage two, folks, we're going to do exactly the same thing. But when you pull the clutch in and stomp on the brake, as soon as the back wheel is skidding, we want to turn your handlebars a little increment to the left. And when I was envisioning talking to you about this, I thought, would it help if the listener thought of the face of a clock where 12 is at the top, 6 is at the bottom, 9 and 3 on the sides? Okay. So we're, we're driving in stage two from 6 o'clock across across the face of the clock towards 12. Mm -hmm. When you hammer on the rear brake, we want you to turn your handlebars a little bit towards 11 o'clock. The handlebars are not pointing you straight anymore. What happens when the back tire is locked up and you turn the bars a little bit to the left, the back wheel is going to step out A little bit towards five o'clock. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Now, if you keep the brake on and you turn the handlebars maybe a little further towards 10, that back wheel is going to slide further, drifting to the right up towards four o'clock. This is getting a little scary. When the bike is getting more and more sideways, the potential for the high side goes up and you're going to go up with it off the bike. Mm -hmm. So this has to be a very gradual, practiced progression of skill. So you just turn the bars a little bit towards 11. Maybe 11.30 is good. As the back wheel steps out, the key part of this lesson is you're controlling how far it steps out with the handlebars. So when you think it stepped out far enough, pull the handlebars back towards 12, and that's where you're gonna end up. You're gonna control the drift or the skid of the rear wheel to the right by turning back to the right.
0: So you're giving a little flick with a handlebar to the left sort of thing. You start to get the back end to come out. And once it starts to come out, then you can start steering towards the direction that you're going and control the bike skidding sideways. And you have the people. So they're booting along. They're locking up that rear wheel. They give a little flick. As you said, you, you turned a little bit towards 11 o'clock. Then you bring it back once the bike steps out and you're coming, skidding them to a stop, basically like that, or almost to a stop. Exactly. And, um, we work up towards holding that
1: flick of the handlebar a little bit longer. That drifts it further. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it's a time and a degree of movement of the handlebar that determines how far it slides out. Now there's other factors. Um, I demonstrated it yesterday. Uh, who was the instructor? Oh. Steve, our instructor, videotaped me on uh, Triumph Scrambler pretty well a street tire on that bike. Super easy <laughs> to lose traction in the dirt mm-hmm. compared to the, you know, the 50-50 knobs that are on adventure bikes that I travel on. But I wanted to ride the Triumph I own because you're always saying, Clinton, you're always talking about BMWs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a BMW instructor. So, but I love this Triumph Scrambler. So, um, I'll send you that video that Steve took, Jim, okay. because it shows this thing stepping out quite aggressively. Like I turn right around, but I'm only doing, you know, 15 miles an
0: hour on kind of wet, hard packed gravel. Right. Did you crash? No. Oh, that's too bad. I We've did made put my video. foot down
1: a couple. Well, <laughs> Oh, yeah, nice guy. (laughs) I I wouldn't mind so much if I could get off the bike in time and throw myself under it. Because this Triumph Scrambler is one of the nicest looking bikes I own. I don't take it off-road because it's just, it's pretty.
0: Right. So it's one of those bikes that looks like it goes off-road, but you don't actually take it off-road.
1: Well, I do now and then, and it rocks. It's got really good Olin suspension, fantastic motor. It is a weapon off road, but I don't tour with it. It doesn't have windshield or any way of carrying, you know, soft luggage or hard luggage. Oh, I see. So it's one of my favorite bikes to commute on. But if it's muddy, I don't take it off road. Right. It's just too hard to clean. I have other bikes I can get dirty.
0: So, so back to this. The, what you're getting the the customer to do here? What are you getting your your student to do with stepping at the rear wheel, skidding along like this? What are they getting from this?
1: They're getting the muscle memory, practice, and confidence that when the inevitable happens, that they lose the back end on their motorcycle, street or dirt, they don't fall off. They don't put it in the ditch or high side because they know how to control it. That's the key. Right. So whether their lack of traction at the back wheel was created with throttle or brake, it's exactly the same concept. You steer the bike back towards 12 o'clock when the back wheel has moved the front wheel and the back wheel askew out of shape.
0: Now, the next step, of course for next time or another time I should say is is, um, when you're sliding you come up, you lock up that rear wheel you slide the back end out and then you dump the clutch and get on the gas and spin it the rest of the way around but that's for another time
1: yeah, a lot of people call that an elephant turn or bear turn I have some YouTube videos of doing it and uh, it's definitely an advanced skill, you want to borrow your friend's bike to practice that one, Jim. <laughs> Definitely. And, and be in full gear. Yeah.
0: Well, this should be good fun for riders to get out there and do some skidding. For them to go out and practice on their own, what, what do you have for them?
1: Homework could be gravel and slow speed, but gravel where you're kind of allowed to be. Don't do it on gravel roads and traffic, but you don't need big speed or big space, but you're going to chew it up a little bit. There's one parking lot we use. I take the tractor over after 10 people have chewed it all up with the rear brake. And I just rake it with this adapter I have on the tractor just so it gets rid of the ruts. Mm -hmm. Um, But try that sitting down if, if you're nervous and just pull the clutch in and hammer the rear brake. And don't let it go. Keep the rear brake on for at least three seconds. And then come to a stop or almost a stop. Release the brake, slide the clutch out, do it again. And then try doing it standing up. And your body position will change from the normal standing to that crouch with your butt back, elbows up. And the idea is you get comfortable with a lack of traction at the back wheel. Then step two you add is a little slight turn of the handlebars to make it drift and the more you practice that the better it is Uh, we start people on dirt bikes first because it's less intimidating you know it weighs a couple hundred pounds compared to their adventure bike it could be three times and dirt bikes if you have a little tip over it's probably not going to crush you it's not going to damage the dirt bike. It's all plastic. Yeah. Where are you? So just be very, very careful. That's why I say borrow your friend's bike. <laughs> well, I'm it, going to be in your area, Jim. I may need your bike. I, I, I'm
0: actually out then. I don't know when you're coming, but I think I'm out. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was fun, Clinton. Thank you very much. Our pleasure. was speaking with clinton smout from smart adventures in ontario canada smart adventures runs all types of riding classes for motorcycles and atvs in the summer and snowmobiles in the winter their website is smartadventures.ca now we've got some photos and a couple of exclusive videos about what we talked about today in the show notes for this episode on our website we have show notes for every single episode we do all on our website at adventureriderradio.com that about wraps up another episode of adventure rider radio. And we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it special. Thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin and you, the listeners. Thank you very much for being a part of this. Hey, we've got another show called adventure rider radio raw. If you're not familiar with it, you can find it anywhere. Podcasts are found. All the information on it is on our website. It comes out once a month. It comes out on the 20th of every month. So it'll be a few weeks yet before the new episode's out. As a matter of fact, there was a new episode only a week or two weeks ago or something like that. Drop by the website to find out more about it. You can find out who is on Raw and all the things that we cover, all at adventureriderradio.com. Now the show is built on a model of advertising and listener support. If you're getting something from the show, I mean, think about what you get from a cup of coffee, and then think about what you're getting from Adventure Rider Radio. Yeah, I don't know. You know, drop by the website, Adventure Rider Radio. Dot com and click on support. We'd really appreciate it if you check out our patron option there. Um, anything ten dollars or more gets you a, some adventure rider radio stickers, and anything fifty dollars or more gets you a shout out on our raw show. So anyway, drop by, have a look. We would really appreciate it. Anyway, my name is Jim Martin. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike if you can, and I'll talk to you next week. Hi, I'm Graham
1: Jarvis and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.